You're listening to the teaching of Calvary Paris. For more information, go to www.calvaryparis.com. And indeed, if you have your Bible, 2 Peter chapter 3 is where we are today. We will be finishing the book of 2 Peter today, which I heard a whoo as I was coming up, and I'm just as excited as you are. Finishing a book is a lot of fun because that means you finish one book and we just get to start a whole nother one. So next Sunday, we'll be starting the book of 1 John. And so you can be praying through and reading through that this upcoming week or of the upcoming uh, weeks and months to be ready for that and get your heart ready, get your mind ready as we tackle that book. So it's going to be really exciting to carry through that book um, in, uh, in and through the fall. But today we are in 2 Peter chapter 3. We'll be moving through verses 10 to 18 to finish out the book. And if you're taking notes today, the title for this message is Steadfast Until the End. Steadfast Until the End, where we will see Peter, who is again the apostle of Jesus Christ, writing to the growing, dispersed, and persecuted church. He will be writing on the topic, continuing in the theme of, these, of this book, on being steadfast in Christ, of living a life in this world with hope that is in Jesus, who is our living hope. And along with that, we have seen him call us to withstand false doctrine. As well, he has called us to live in the promises of God today as they are for us to live in today. And Peter has been writing to us as he is writing to the early church on how to live for the Lord's. And as we began the end of this letter last week, we saw Peter back in familiar fashion of reminding, of alerting and exhorting the church in what it looks like to follow the Lord's. Or you'll remember that he reminded the church one last time, he's going to get another one in today, he reminded the church one last time of the importance of God's word and how knowing and holding to it continually and reading it, being in it, that's something that the church has to be about. He also alerted the church, you'll remember, in chapter 2 he alerted of false teachers, well last week he alerted of those that he called scoffers. Those that sought to come into the church and distract the church, discourage the church, see the church get bummed out as they waited on the promise of God, seeking to say that the promise of God wasn't going to come to pass. Peter refuted that and so encouraged the church as he alerted them. And as he did, you'll remember that he exhorted the church, as he will continue to do today. He exhorted the church, encouraging them to know and to trust, again, the promises of God, specifically the promise of God's return, of the Lord returning for His church, and the ultimate return and setting up of all things being new as He judges the world and recreates what we're going to see as we move through the text today. And where we stopped last week, you'll remember in verses 8 through 9, Peter, he encouraged the church with one last promise for that day, that the Lord, well, he's not slack in his promises, he's patient. He's not apathetic when it comes to the world and fulfilling the work that is ahead. No, he is patient, waiting for the world and everyone to have an opportunity so as to be able to take a hold of the grace that he extends and the salvation that is available. And he talked about the timeline of the Lord being the Lord's timeline, how it's perfect because the Lord, well, he's perfect. And as we continue on today and we finish out this book, we're going to continue to see that this promise of the Lord's return, well, Peter's going to elaborate on it a bit. And as he elaborates on it, so too will he exhort the church to continue, as the title would show, to be steadfast until the end. So let's get into the word today. If you have your Bible, 2 Peter chapter 3, we're going to read verses 10 through 13. We're going to pray one more time before we continue on, and then... We will continue on. So, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. 
Peter says, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with a fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all of these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with a fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promises, we look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. God, for the opportunity that we have to be in it. Lord, I just thank you so much for the Bible. It's just a a representation of your kindness, God, and that you wrote to us about yourself and about, Lord, how we are to follow you and what it looks like to follow you. God, I thank you for that. And I thank you, Lord, for this study in First and Second Peter. And I thank you, God, today that we get to end that. And Lord, as we do, we know that you invite us to this. We know that, Lord, you invite us and you give us freedom and access to you, Lord, to learn your word and to know what it looks like to follow you in it. And so, Lord, help us today. Or we ask for your help, and we ask for it expectantly, that you would help us to understand your word, that we may apply your word in the days that we live in, as you have called us, Lord, to be steadfast in you. And so, God, we ask for this now, and I ask that you would just uh, move and work in this time, open up our hearts and minds to hear what you have to say, that we may live for you and live for you as you've called us. And I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, Peter, last week, if you were with us, you'll remember he, he spent the bulk, and we spent the bulk last week, seeing the, the refuting of the scoffers that would come against the church. And all of it was regarding, you'll remember, the day of the Lord's. And as Peter finished doing so, you'll remember he reassured the believers of the promises wrapped up within the Lord and the Lord's promise to return. But today, as we see, now he takes a little bit of time to elaborate on that day, specifically what the day of the Lord is. And as he does so, you'll notice that we see wrapped up within these verses that we just read, both description and exhortation. Description and exhortation. And so as he describes the day of the Lord just a bit, it does us well to describe slash explain it a a bit as well. And so if you are taking notes, that's what we're going to do first is see this description. And the best way that I know how to describe is to look at where we are now currently as the church and then to move forward into the future and what the Bible reveals to us, what will happen. And to do this, I want to reference a couple things on the screen. The first thing that's going to come up will be a timeline. And we're not going to stick on the timeline for very long. So if you want to take a picture of it with your phones, that's fine. Or just have it in your memory. If you would like it, we can provide it for you, you know, after service. But the, the, as you can see up there, we're, we're currently in the present church age and moving down the timeline to the final judgment and the eternal state. And again, that is there for your reference. If you'd like it, we can get it to you. But the next slide, we'll spend a bit more time on. Because on the next slide, what we have is, is, is the laying out of that timeline, as well as verses within the Bible that go along with this. And this is what you could call, or what is called, the eschatological timeline. I love that word. It's just a fun one to say. Eschatological timeline, which really just means the timeline of the end. What is end time prophecy? And again, we are currently in what is known as the church age. It started all the way back in Acts chapter 2, and it is where we are still today. Because the church, well, we're still here today. So we are currently in the church age. 
But the next thing that will come, what we see within the Bible, is the rapture of the church, what is outlined for us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 through 18. That is going to be where Jesus, well, he returns partially, and we as the church, those who are in Christ, both dead and alive, well, we will rise to meet him in the air. That is what is next on the timeline. After that comes the immediate immediate institution of what is known as the seven-year tribulation period. And if you have read the book of Revelation, we actually studied it back in 2020. That is outlined for us in Revelation 6 through 19. And after that comes the physical return of Christ, which is shown to us in Revelation 19, verse 11 through 21, where Christ is going to return all the way to the earth at the end of that seven years. And as he does so, he will return and he will set up what is known as the millennial kingdom, where he will physically rule and reign on the earth for a thousand years. And in that time, Satan will be bound in chains. And we see that shown to us in Revelation 20, verses 1 through 6. After that 1,000 years, though, there's going to be the end of the millennial kingdom. And Satan is actually going to be released for one final move through the earth. And we're going to see that in Revelation 20, verse 7 through 10, which after he is released, there will be this final rebellion, this final rebellion that seeks to come against Christ, which I don't know why Satan would think that could happen, but he does it. And we see that that is immediately squashed. And in Revelation 20, verse 11 through 15, we have what is known as the great white throne judgments which is the time where the the Lord will appear, the heavens and the earth will pass away, they will move away. The Bible says they will flee from his presence. And in that time, the throne will be set up and the books will be opened. And that is where judgment will be passed, which after that comes Revelation 21 and then really into 22, where we see all things made new. And what we see with this timeline, understand the reason I go through it as we study here in, in 2 Peter chapter 3, is that understand from the rapture to the end of the ending events of the millennial reign of Christ, well, all of those events, they all fall under what is known as the day of the Lord. Now, having said that and having run through that, I I know that as we look at eschatology, as you look at end-time prophecy, that there are differences of opinion and different ways that people interpret. Some of those are non-negotiable. Some of them are not a divisive issue. And if you disagree, well, that's fine. We can talk about the Bible whenever you want. But the main point of this, understand that Peter is wanting to get across is not necessarily the eschatological timeline. I just want to try to say that word as many times as I can. It's not every nuance that comes with eschatology. The main point that Peter here is trying to get across is that he wants to show the church two things. He wants to get across first the absolute assuredness of this day coming. The absolute assuredness of Jesus returning, of Jesus returning as he promised that he would and the events that are described happening. His promise of return, his removal of the church, the judgment of the earth, all of that Peter wants to show is a sure thing. But also too, the second thing is the absolute need for believers to be living in light of that coming day today. To be living in light of that coming day of the Lord today in the day that the Lord has given us, which is what we find Peter speaking to as he describes that day. Notice that as we read those verses that he intertwines both description and exhortation into that text. Where we see in verse 11 and really into the first part of of verse 12, Peter says there again, he says, Therefore, since all of these things will be dissolved, he says, What manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness 
looking for and hastening the coming day of God. See, Peter, what he does here is he he puts it into perspective. That since all of the earth is going to end, the Lord's word is going to come to pass, he asks the reader to think on what manner or, or what type of persons that they should seek to be in the Lord. And in the English, the word holy conduct, words holy conduct and godliness, well, they're both singular. But I love it. Peter, in the original language, he exercises a, a little bit of humor within his writing. Again, Peter is a good pastor, and sometimes he makes jokes that don't land either, so I don't feel so bad. Where we see in the original language, what he's actually saying there is he says, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conducts and in godlinesses? Which for us in the English, again, sounds absurd and would be kind of silly in the Greek. But the point of it all, understand, is that Peter is trying to get across that in our waiting for the day, in our waiting for the return of the Lord, for the day of the Lord, as we as the church occupy until his coming, that there is much to do. That there is much to do and much that we can be about doing. There is a lot that is available to the believer that he was writing to and to us today as we wait and as we live for the Lord's, which is always a great thing to hear. It's always a great thing to hear that the Lord, his promises will come to pass and we can trust that he is coming. But also too, it's a great thing to be reminded of that as we wait, we're not to be passive. We're not to be sedentary, which sadly often happens. You know, we've discussed this before that there's some misconceptions when it comes to our Christian life. One of them is that as you're saved, then you're just ready to sit and nothing can be further from the truth. Understand that we are not saved to sit. We're not saved to be sedentary. No, we are called as we take a hold of the salvation that Jesus offers to us, or we're to take hold of it and then live it out. Live it out in this world. And so oftentimes what can happen, quite frankly, in the culture that we live in, here in Paris, Texas, in fact, to make it very specific to us, many believe that once you've punched your ticket to heaven, that you're done. And once you've punched your ticket, you can be a pew potato until Jesus comes back to get you. But understand that that is not what God saved us for. God saved us to walk with him and live with him and serve him all the days of our life. It's not just to be saved to sit. It's saved to serve and to serve the Lord. And so that's something that we need to understand. But there's another thing that can happen. Something that really ties in the fact that Peter says there's a, good, there's a lot of good conducts and a lot of godlinesses that we can grow in. And that is the reality that sometimes we can start following the Lord. You can start that relationship with the Lord and all of a sudden the Lord has excited you and you just go all in, right? And and many of us are there. Many of you have been there. But many of us can also be in a place, many of us have been in a place where as you're serving the Lord, well, then all of a sudden a season changes, life changes. You know, maybe you get married, or, or, or kids come around, or kids leave, or more kids come around, or, or different things, a job change, a location change. Different things happen, and what we can do as humans, and this is sad because it's backwards, is we can take our relationship with the Lord and say, okay, well, the season of life is changing, and so, Lord, you're going on the back burner for a little bit. And though we may serve for a season, well, once that season changes, well, we stop serving. Once the game changes, we stop it. And nothing should be, that should not be something that we as believers do. No, no, no more than we should be saved and just sit. Well, so too should we not see a change and stop serving, stop walking, stop pouring in to our relationship with the Lord. Because understand, as the Lord promises his coming, 
as the Lord promises his return, that day of the Lord is a promise that we can take to the bank. Well, so too, in light of that, is there a lot to do? And is there something for every one of us to do? There is no believer that is saved. There's no person that was created by the Lord that is not on purpose. There is no one in this room that was created by the Lord that doesn't have a purpose that the Lord has called you to, has made you for. And what we get to do is we get to start a relationship with the Lord and we get to say, Lord, what do you have for me? What do you have for me, Lord? What did you make me for in in my life, in the church, in life outside of the local church? What, Lord, do you have for me? And then walk that out until he takes us home. That's what Peter here is seeking to say. Peter is saying, in light of that day, there is much that we can be doing. And if you feel like you've run out of something to do, trust me, the Lord would say, I've got something for you to do. The Lord would say, hey, you're not saved just to sit. You're saved to serve and to walk with him. And Peter wants to remind of that. And you'll notice that Peter says something very interesting about the church taking advantage of the time that we have. He says there again that we are looking for, and did you notice he says, and hastening the coming of the day of God. And as Peter says this, he says there in a sense that that as we serve, as we live for the Lord, that we are hastening, we are bringing about the Lord's coming. And and I'll, I'll be completely honest with you. I have no idea what all that entails. I really don't. I don't know all what that means. I know that God is sovereign. I know he is perfect with a perfect timeline. And I also know that the word of God says that as I serve him, as I go all in for the Lord, as we as the church serve him, that we hasten his coming. And I don't know what all that means. Neither do you. But what I do know is that as the Bible tells me that my working and serving the Lord, if my seeking out to walk with the Lord brings forth that day, quickens it, that encourages me to serve the Lord. That encourages me to say, God, what do you have for me today? God, what do you want to do in my life? What do you want to do through my life? And we as the church, individually and corporately, well, that should be what we desire as well. If the Lord says, hey, I'm coming, occupy until then, well, that's what we should do and see what the Lord has for us. So we see Peter here. He speaks there of the promise of the Lord's coming, of the day of the Lord coming, and he intertwines within it this exhortation to serve and to move and to work as we do so. And as the word of God would call us to do that, well, so too should we do that. But Peter, what he does is he then moves on. And he moves on from the day of the Lord. And as he gets ready to end his letter, he does so by expounding once more on the steadfastness that we are called to. Where in verses 10 through 13, we look to a coming day. Well, the rest of the chapter shows us what it looks like to be steadfast today and in the day that we live in. So I want you to pick up in verse 14 with me as we finish out the text. Where Peter says, therefore, in light of all of these things that he has said, he says, therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. And consider that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as also in all of his epistles, speaking in them of these things, and which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of the scriptures. You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness being led away with the error of the wicked. But grow, verse 18, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. 
Amen. Peter has pointed out and shown us what, it, what the day of the Lord, that it is coming. And now he shows us what it looks like to be steadfast today. And as Peter, as he has pointed out all the things, that all things will melt away, that God is going to create all things new, well, he wants to leave the reader again with one last reminder, one last exhortation and encouragement and what it looks like to be steadfast as you wait for that day. And all for the point of, again, keeping the faith in Christ and seeking to lead us into further relationship with him and to show him to the world around us. And as we move through this text, if you're taking notes, there's four specific things that Peter writes here for us to take to heart that will aid in our steadfastness here in this world. And the first one that we see is diligence in holiness. Peter here, he reminds of diligence in verse 14. He says there again, therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. And this is something that Peter has spoken of before. Here he is resurfacing the idea that diligence, well, it absolutely matters in our relationship with God. And Peter wants to show here that there is an expectancy that the believer is to have and to show out in waiting for the Lord. Diligence matters, and expectancy, it also matters. And, and to kind of illustrate this, to put it in a place where we can understand maybe what this looks like, you know, think of an instance in your own life where you are expectant, or you're expectant maybe of company coming over, right? Like we all know that. We have someone coming over to our house, and so what do we do? We make our house look like it never looks ever, right? We clean, we throw everything into one room, we close the door, and hope to the Lord they don't go in that room. That's what we do, but we're expectant for it. You husbands, maybe your wife goes out of town or let's be real, goes down the street and everything falls apart. Well, you want to make sure that when she gets home, you look like you kept it together. And so when, whenever you, you know she's on her way home, you put everything in that room, you clean the mud, the blood, or both off of the kids. And then you say, look, honey, I did a good job. Look at me. You're expectant, you're waiting, and we can resonate with that. And it's the same way with the Lord. Peter is pointing out here, it's the same thing that Peter is calling the believer then and us as well as we wait for the Lord to be found diligently waiting, to be found diligent in our holiness, to be living every single day with our relationship in mind, our relationship with the Lord and pouring into that, wanting to be found by the Lord how we want to be found. To every day be like Paul calls the believer in Romans 12 too, to not be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds that we may know what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I love this verse. I'm challenged by this verse every single day because this is the call of the believer to no longer look as the world, to no longer look as they were before Christ, but to be continually every single day transformed by the Lord, by spending time with the Lord and in his words, by doing what Paul says we are to do in Colossians 3, 2, that we are to set our minds on things above, not on things on the earth. Or what David says in Psalm 19, 14, where he says, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. All of these things and so many other things within the word of God, they point to a diligence in holiness, to a diligence that we are called to put into our lives as we live and work and walk with and for the Lord's. And Peter here, he wants to make that known. It is our diligence and holiness that sets us up for steadfastness. But Peter also gives us another thing there in verse 15. He says that we are called to consider salvation. He says there again, and consider that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation. 
This, of course, is reminiscent of last week. Reminiscent and reminds the believer again of what Peter left off with, that the church can bank on the coming of the Lord. The church can bank on the promise of Jesus to return for his church, to set up all things new for a new heaven and a new earth. We can bank on what the word of God points to. And as such, we are to look and to see that steadfastness in the Lord, well, it means dwelling on that and dwelling on the fact that that promise, well, that means salvation. As long as the Lord is tarrying, as long as he is still waiting for us, what we as the church are to do is to consider that patience of the Lord as salvation for ourselves and for the world around us. For ourselves and for the world around us, steadfastness of the Lord will be much easier if we're considering that the Lord, that he wants to save, that he wants to save us, and that he wants to save the world, again, around us. And Peter, as he calls the reader to think of this, I love what he does. He, he points to Paul. He points to Paul, showing this unity of message that he and Paul had, even though Peter said Paul's kind of confusing to understand. He did say, hey, look, we're on the same page. Me and Paul, we're on the same page. The Lord is working consistently where we are. And we can see that within the Bible. You know, I love scriptures like 1 Timothy 2, 3. Whereas Paul there is speaking of how important it is for men in the church to pray and for the church to be praying. He says in verse 3, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Or like what Paul says in the same vein of thought in Ephesians 5, 15 and 16, as he says there, see then that you walk circumspectly, walk with purpose, don't waste your time, he says, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Using the same language here as Peter, Paul, he calls for a right mindset, a dwelling on a considering of the Lord's salvation, his desire to save in this world. And that right there will breed steadfastness. As we think on the things of the Lord and think on the fact that God wants to save today, wants to save us today, and wants to save our, our neighbors, our coworkers, our family members, our schoolmates. As we think on those things, we remain steadfast because we know the Lord is still at work. And so Peter speaks there of holiness and diligence in holiness, considering salvation. But in verse 17, he also leaves the church calling them to vigilance. You know, upon referencing Paul's writing, he also points out, you'll notice, that there are those within the church that would seek to come in and take Paul's writings and twist them around. And he's spoken extensively on this. He spoke in chapter 2 about false teachers. He spoke last week about scoffers. So Peter, he's about calling the church to be aware. And again, he says just that. He says, beware lest you fall from your own steadfastness. There's the key word, being led away with error of the wicked. He's calling the church to remain steadfast by remaining vigilant. By remaining vigilant and watchful. Watchful for what? Watchful for the Lord to return, knowing his promises is right. But also vigilance in their time here to be ready when opposition comes. To be vigilant in this world, to be steadfast and vigilant, knowing that we in this world, we face hard things. There are hard things because this world has fallen. There are false teachers. There are lies within this world. And we as the church need to be vigilant in our time, seeking to know the truth and to stick with the truth. And Peter calls for this vigilance here in the end, saying flat out that as you consider salvation, as you seek to walk with the Lord, don't fall from your steadfastness, but remain steadfast as you consider, as you walk with the Lord and dwell on his words. 
And Peter, he ends this exhortation and thus ends the book with this last statement. There he says in verse 18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, which again really serves as just this great ending when really an overarching statement for all of Peter's writings and a perfect ending when he's calling the church to continue steadfast until the end. He calls us to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And really for all of us here today, if you get anything today, get this, that we as the church individually, corporately, local, and globally, we are called to do this right here, to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I want you to notice that it doesn't say let grace grow, but grow in grace. That's an important difference to make because understand that God's grace, get this, it it can't grow. It, It can't, it can't, it can't grow, it can't shrink because the Lord, He is perfect. The Lord is immutable, meaning that his characteristics, his his power, his goodness, his character, it will never change. It will never diminish. God's grace is extended to us perfectly. It's extended to us perfectly and shown to us perfectly in the finished work of Jesus Christ upon the cross of Calvary. And what we are called to do is to see that grace, take a hold of that grace through faith, believing in that finished work. And then as we take hold of it, We're to grow in it. We're to grow in it because we who are not perfect and are recipients of that grace, we need to grow in it. Meaning that daily, daily to remain steadfast in the Lord until the day we are with the Lord, well, we dwell on that grace. We wake up in the morning thanking the Lord for it because none of us deserve it. All of us, as we are born, we deserve one thing and that's hell. That's a reality. But Jesus, he died for us gave his life, his perfect life, shed his blood that we could be saved, extending the grace of God to us that we could walk and live eternally with him in heaven. That's an amazing thing. And every single day we're to wake up and say, Lord, you're so good. Your grace is so good. Your grace is amazing. And that's a way that we remain steadfast by knowing that the grace of God is extended to us today. And then to grow in that, To remember that every single day, the grace of God, it's there for us to lean into, to bank on, to walk in. When we blow it, to remember that the Lord, he is there faithful to save, faithful to forgive. He wants us to deal with sin. He doesn't treat sin lightly, but his grace, oh, his grace is so good because it covers our sin. His grace is so good because it shows there the forgiveness of the Lord so as to lead us and to continue on so that we don't have to live in condemnation. So to live in a way, a constant state of vacillating between the Lord's grace and our own condemnation and damnation. No, we can live with the Lord every day, growing in his grace, knowing that it's faithful and he's faithful to provide it. Peter exhorts that knowing that it'll breed steadfastness. But also too, notice he says to grow also in our knowledge. You want to be steadfast in Christ? You grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You grow in the knowledge, which is that relational, experiential knowledge, that knowledge of not just knowing about Jesus, but knowing Jesus and knowing him more every single day. What Peter would invoke here is this idea of growing with your relationship in Jesus, of growing with Jesus as you walk in this world, of growing to learn him every single day, just like our our earthly relationships, whether it be marriage or parenting or friendship, you learn each other by spending time with one another. And the same goes with the Lord's. We grow in our knowledge of Jesus, who he is, 
what he's called us to, what his word says, how we're to live for him and with him in this world. We learn that and we remain steadfast as we do so, as we go to him daily. And Peter knew this. Peter knew that we were to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And that as we did so, well, the church would remain steadfast. And that's the truth for us, church. That is the overarching theme of this book of First and Second Peter both, as we've studied them over this spring and this summer, as we've seen Peter consistently speak of what it looks like to live for the Lord, it all comes back to being steadfast in Him. And that all goes back to our knowing Him and our learning Him and our walking with Him every single day so that we, as He called us back in First Peter, can be holy as He is holy. So that we, as he said back in 1 Peter, can give a reason for the hope that lies within us. That we can show and live out the life that Christ has given to us. And as he's shown us here, how we can be vigilant and steadfast with him walking in this world. As we grow with him and as we seek him out. And my friends, as we end this book, these two books, when we see Peter, really his last words recorded for us. He's about to go to martyrdom. He went to martyrdom knowing that the Lord was faithful. And he was steadfast in his walk with the Lord. We know Peter, sometimes we see him as the idiot and sometimes he's painted that way, but he's not. He's a man that was seeking to follow the Lord just as we are men and women seeking to follow the Lord. And the way that he did it was by being steadfast, by being steadfast and watchful, by growing in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what is available to us, friends. And I pray that we would take that to heart as we look for the promise of God. We look for the promise of His coming. We look for the promise of all things being made new and know that the Lord is going to be faithful to us. He's faithful today. And I pray that we, we would be faithful to Him in return, seeking to walk with Him and surrender to Him, knowing that He will keep us and He will keep us right where He wants us as we walk with Him. So we end this book. We get ready for 1 John next week and more things that the Lord wants to show us. But today, friends, as we pray and we get ready to respond to the Lord's, it's important that we know what the call of the Lord is to us, to walk with him, to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, and to see where he wants to lead us from there. Let's pray.